Hi, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Marshall. Welcome to Tumble, the show where we explore stories of science discovery. Today we're headed to the Batcave. Wait, you mean the place where Batman and Robin hang out waiting for calls about crimes in Gotham City? No, it's way cooler than that. We're going on a field trip to the biggest bat colony in the entire world, where we'll meet a bat biologist and find out how bats learn to be bats. One morning this summer, I got up to watch the sun rise on an old ranch outside of San Antonio, Texas. But there was one element of the sunrise you can't see or hear anywhere else in the world. That sound is wind passing over millions of bat wings. So this is the beginning of when the bats start to rain down in the morning. That's real-life batwoman slash bat biologist Jessica Dreyer. I met her around 6 a.m. near the entrance to Bracken Cave, which is home to 15 million Mexican free-tailed bats. Wait, 15 million bats? Yeah, it's the largest concentration of mammals on the planet. When you are standing by the cave and you look up into the sky, pretty much as far as you can see upwards, you'll just see these little dots appear out of the sky and they'll just drop straight down. And they've been clocked at about 40 miles an hour dropping into the cave. Uh, And so, I mean, literally thousands of bats will be raining down over you coming back into the cave. And it is one of the most cool, otherworldly experiences you'll ever have. It was like being in some sort of secret bat world. But what made it even more special was that this huge cloud of bats was made up only of mothers and their babies. Whoa, it's a big mom's group. (laughs) (laughs) So we're approaching that point right now where the sun is starting to rise and more bats are starting to come in from a night of feeding. Are we going to get pooped on? Yeah, yeah. If you're standing close enough to the cave, yes, you will get some rain, some urine rain, and some poop landing on your head. (laughs) I hope you brought your bat raincoat, or should I say poop coat. I actually don't have one. (laughs) This is so incredibly amazing. Where else can you see this kind of thing? Not many places in the world, and... You know, it doesn't seem to matter how many times you've seen it. It always blows your mind. Jessica's seen it a lot. All summer, she's been camping outside the cave. And every night, she's up between 2 a.m. and 9 a.m. catching bats. And that's what I've come to see. Wait, wait, catching bats? Just like, like grabbing them out of the air? Like, what? how and why? Let's talk about why first. The point of this whole project that I'm working on is to figure out what the transition looks like when a baby bat goes from drinking only its mother's milk to learning how to catch its own bugs and then finally feeding itself entirely on bugs that it catches itself. In other words, she's trying to figure out how bat babies get weaned from their mommies. Well, that's something we do as human babies, except, you know, we don't start eating bugs. It's usually fruit or something. Sometimes <laughs> avocado. <laughs> yeah, but so uh, while this is a delightful time for humans to spread, you know, food all over their faces, 
This is actually one of the most difficult times in a young bat's life. So you're a young bat, you're still growing. Um, you're trying to figure out how to fly, how to echolocate, how to catch bugs. All of this is happening at the same time and your milk supplies that you're getting fed are decreasing. And so you are expending a ton of energy trying to learn how to be a bat and you're, the energy that's coming in is decreasing. So Jessica's goal is to figure out how that process actually works. And to do that, she has to catch a lot of bats. So we're approaching the mouth of the cave right now. It's a quick hike from the viewing area where I met Jessica to the bat catching spot. And we really just stand right in front of the, the opening of the cave, right in the middle, because the bats, when they're dropping down into the cave, uh, from the sky, they sort of aim for the, the middle top of the cave. And so that's where the most bats are and it gives us our best chance of catching them. So I'm with my technician, his name is Harry, and he has the butterfly net. And so he's just gonna go ahead and stick the butterfly net straight up into the air and he doesn't even have to move it. Wait, they, they catch bats with a butterfly net? Like there's not a special bat net? For the bats, it's just this circle floating in the air and they fly right into it. <laughs> He's already caught a bat, and it's been about a split second that he's had the net in the air. So he just reaches in with his hand, uh, and he's wearing a, a baseball glove or a golf glove. Uh, it's just a thin leather glove to protect himself from bat bites. And you might have heard that on the mic. He just dropped the bat into one of the little paper bags that I'm holding open for him. And so I fold the paper bag over. I close it up with a clothespin and I write the time of capture on the bag, and so it is 6.52. So there are bat bags. Can you get those at Target? You actually can. They're like regular brown paper lunch bags, the kind <laughs> you would bring to school. <laughs> and then, here's the thing, after they catch the bats, they put them in a little cooler. <laughs> it's like, this one's for lunch, this one's for the bats. <laughs> yeah, there's no ice. It's just to carry the bats. Uh, he's already got, he just dropped the second bat into the bag, 6.53. So he's got the net back up in the air, and he's already caught a third bat. So as I watched from about 50 yards away, I could see Jessica and Harry standing in the swarm of bats, raising and lowering the net like they're picking apples or something. <laughs> All right, so we have 10 bats, so we are just going to go ahead and carry our cooler with our bags full of bats back up to the top of the sinkhole so that we can work on our data collection. The data collection is the time-consuming part. To do that, we walked back with the cooler to a small clearing where there's a little outdoor lab. Now we just, we have this table set up with all of our equipment on it, and this is where we process the bats so what exactly does it mean to process a bat? Like they have to fill out a form and make sure they get their social security number right? <laughs> no, it means that they're going to go through a series of steps to collect information about each bat. It starts with Harry weighing them while they're still inside the lunch bag. And so once he's done, I just go ahead and pull out the bat. And so now I've got a little juvenile male bat in my hand. And if you put your two thumbs next to each other, that's about how big the body of the bat is. Oh my God, that's so amazing. 
Wow. He's got his wings all spread out, and you can see the membranes. Oh, and he's so tiny. And they only weigh... I don't know, like 10, 12 grams, which is about the weight of two quarters. So the next time you go to the dollar store and you're holding 50 cents, that's about how much one of these bats weighs. So they're really little tiny guys. Yeah, but really feisty. As we talked, the bat chomped down on Jessica's gloves with its tiny, sharp teeth, and it started screaming at her. And that's this little guy making those squeaking noises. So that's what a bat sounds like when it's trying to squirm out of your grasp. (laughs) Exactly what it sounds like. And I have to say, bats are a lot different up close than I'd imagined. They're actually kind of cute. To me, they look like little puppies. And they've got these huge ears and these little wrinkly lips and these little whiskers. (laughs) And so one of my favorite things to do is to bring people out to actually see bats up close because a lot of times it'll change the way that they feel about bats, which... Um, is one of the most rewarding aspects of this work for me. Once we're finished ooing and eyeing over the adorable baby bat, Jessica got to work. First, she had to figure out how old the bat was by measuring the distance between two joint bones in its wing. I've got a microscope here that, oddly enough, I actually backlight with my cell phone. <laughs> that's the best way to see the joint and I measure the gap through the microscope. She also drew blood from the tail and collected pellets of poop that the bats left behind in the bag. And then there's the issue of bat milk. (laughs) I always love the job of a scientist. (laughs) (laughs) I know. (laughs) Bat milk is actually really difficult to get. (laughs) I'm sure. I'm sure it is. I mean it really is like milking a cow or any other animal it's just that they're so tiny what was it like the first time you milked a bat (laughs) very difficult (laughs) um so it has tested my patience but yeah so the first time i ever milked a bat um we were catching them earlier in the night and so they hadn't really produced a lot of milk yet and So I wasn't sure if I was doing it wrong or if the bats just didn't have milk. And so the first one that I was able to successfully milk, like, I don't, we, I think, like, threw our hands up into the air and, like, jumped up and down because we were so excited that it finally worked. I can imagine not too many people have successfully milked a bat. Like, probably not enough to make cheese, even. Yeah, I think artisanal bat cheese is not a thing for a good reason. (laughs) Be like a tiny little pellet. Yeah. I should also say that you really shouldn't try to catch a bat yourself because there's definitely a risk of rabies. Noted. So what does Jessica do with all these bat fluids and measurements? She uses them for a little bit of science detective work to figure out what the bats have been eating. So I'm going to be doing stable isotope analysis from the milk samples and then also from insect samples. Stable isotope analysis is a technique that reveals a unique chemical fingerprint in bat food. Jessica's challenge is to find those fingerprints within samples of blood and the pellets of poop from the babies. Once she does that, she can track how the bat's diet changes from milk to insects over the course of the summer. So that's really cool, but why is it important to know how bats are weaned? 
One of the reasons is simply that we don't know. Um, bats are are pretty understudied up till now, and so there's a lot of really basic questions that we just don't know about bats. So that in itself um, is enough to drive me to ask a question, but it's more than that. What Jessica learns could be really important for conservation, meaning how we protect animal species and their environments. Understanding the most stressful periods with the highest mortality rates are really important. I guess a classic example of that is um, our protection strategies with sea turtles. We often will put cages over nests of sea turtle eggs because it's an easy thing that we can do to help increase sea turtle survivorship. And so it's, it's kind of the same idea there. We want to make sure we know as much as possible about their life history so that we can make the best decisions we can. So I guess we want to do what we can to make sure that more adorable animal babies survive to become even cuter adults so that they can have another generation of even cuter animal babies. It's a circle of life. (laughs) It's a circle of cuteness. (laughs) So a huge part of making that happen is protecting animal habitat. Jessica's able to do her research because a group called Bat Conservation International bought the land that the bat cave is on in order to preserve it. Bat conservationists, the real life bat people. And really, anyone could grow up to be a real bat person. It's not just for superheroes. You know, five years ago, I never, ever would have guessed that this is what I would have been doing. I get to be right next to the largest group of of mammals in the whole world. And that's not a lot of people get to do that and get the privilege to study them. So I feel extremely fortunate that that I'm the kid that gets to do this. (laughs) If you were a bat person, what would you study? Draw us a picture or send us a recording. Send it to tumblepodcast at gmail.com or use the contact form on our website. We can't wait to hear your bat adventures. Thanks to Jessica Dreyer, PhD student, and Harry Pepper, an undergrad, both at the University of Tennessee. Thanks also to Fran Hutchins, director of Bracken Cave, and Katie Jepson, the content producer at Bat Conservation International. Super special thanks to our friend Haley Gillespie for playing my Robin and coming to the Bat Cave and taking photos. You can see those photos and videos of bat weather on our blog, sciencepodcastforkids.com slash blog. We also have information about how you can visit Bracken Cave. And we have another great episode about bats called The Cave of the Upside-Down Bat. It's one of our early favorites. This week, for our Patreon members, we're going to be sharing more of our visit with Jessica, including some fascinating facts about what it's like to go inside the cave. If you're not a member yet, pledge at patreon.com slash tumblepodcast. You'll be helping us continue to make this show. I'm Lindsay Patterson, and I wrote and produced this episode. And I'm Marshall Escamilla, and I make all of the music. Thanks for listening, and tune in next time for more stories of science discovery. Same bat time, same bat channel.